0: Man, welcome to Pro777 Radio. This is episode 488. It's me and Jason today, and we are going to cover some ideas about an important situation in our world to do with population. Jason, I don't know how long it's been that we've been asserting that we can demonstrate population's been falling since minimally the 70s. We just can't figure out a way to get before that, but we can latch right on to the big psychological operations that kick up in the 70s. And what's funny is in 2019, I started to see researchers, mainstream researchers, echo exactly what we said about population, go to the countries, show that they were below the minimum childbearing uh, amounts that would sustain their populations. And then they pegged it to 74, never comprehending why you and I chose to peg it to the early 70s. Felt like there was a question in there, but I don't think there was. Anyhow, welcome.
1: And good morning. No, that was a rhetorical question because, well, it depends upon how much we want to break this down right at the beginning, but the 70s is definitely where we can trace things back to.
0: I guess the main point as we get in is if people just did, you know, population searches or population decline searches, you will find mainstream work of people going out to different countries and even uncovering campaigns of countries that have realized that they're in trouble. So let's let's just jump in and do what we can do here. Can you imagine if what we've laid down is true and correct, this is all prior to covid. So what would the numbers actually be now with all the death that's occurred anyhow?
1: The myth of overpopulation is an unfounded belief that the number of people on the earth will exceed the hypothetical carrying capacity of the world in the foreseeable future thus leading to economic and or social collapse those who believe in this myth push for actions that ought to be taken to curb population growth and sometimes in extreme numbers population alarmists who buy into the overpopulation myth believe that the world's growing population will come to strip the earth of its available resources and will outpace technological innovations and rates of production This they believe and push very hard to convince others of, and will cause diminishing standards of living, even more poverty than currently is seen, more hunger than is currently seen, famine and starvation in ever-increasing locations, water shortages, pestilence, war, and conflict over ever-diminishing and non-replenishing resources, the evisceration of wildlife habitats, And environmental catastrophes such as global climate change, especially man made. Well, all of
0: climate change is man made. It's an idea. The main, you know, if we're going to jump in at the base of what's causing all our trouble right now, let's be honest, it's corporations right? It's a non-breathing entity given the rights of a person where really most of the time, nobody's responsible for anything, which is one of the main reasons to be in a corporation. So I hear words like limited liability. Most of the big corporations never get taken to task for anything they do, nor is any individual per se held responsible. But they're saying they they want to make the claim in the mainstream, and they're still doing it. By the way, not only have the movies and the the little clips come out where people are doing due diligence and saying, "Hey, guess what, man? We're not replicating at a level that will replace us as human species." They're trying to claim at the same time that we're approaching eight billion or whatever their make believe number is right now. So it's just the old Tavistockian thing: some people trying to tell what they think is correct, and then the mainstream coming and mowing it over on the evening news one night, assuring you that we're going to be at 8 billion, but economic and social collapse as a result of population. Well, we're having that now and it has nothing to do with population. It has everything to do with leadership and corporation and the earth's available resources. Well, I think we're all adults in the room and we can understand. Yeah. If you Do bad things, we can run out of things in this world. Like if everyone woke up one day and said, we're all going to shoot all the deer in the world. Yeah, you could make a serious situation for deer. But the truth of it is, is everyone that I have ever known that is self-sufficient in growing things say things like on a single acre, I could feed multiple families, like between five and 10 on a single acre. And here we see the, the same old tired argument, That the survival and the ability to feed people uh, rests on technology. And this just isn't the case. Uh, This world is an amazing place. And these tired old arguments, it's time for them to back them up. You want to prove there's 8 billion people in this world? Prove it. And they can't prove it.
1: To make sure we are keeping with the facts, the population has continued to grow, but for a very good reason. It is not that people are reproducing in extreme quantities, but rather that the human race in many places is no longer susceptible to many things that would have ended a life in previous times. A century or so ago, many diseases could kill someone in a matter of days, where in the modern era, these diseases can be routinely dealt with and even cured. Years ago, someone might hope to live into their 60s, but now they routinely live into their 70s 80s and even 90s.
0: All right. I'm going to pick a bone with these ideas. First of all, you know, look what's happened on the tale of inoculations. And from the stats that I've seen, and it's very difficult to get stats, the majority of the loss of life occurred in the elderly. In other words, they checked out sooner than they probably would have. But this idea that somehow disease being curable, think of all the people that are on drugs right now. How many people do you see when you go into the pharmacy that are renewing five, six, seven, eight drugs? How many old people do you know that are on zero drugs? When my mother was dying and they came and they said, well, give me the list of things she's on. I'd say she's not on anything that isn't a vitamin or a nutriment. And they were amazed. How can that be? The point I'm making here is how can we ever reckon that somehow dealing with disease undercuts the amount of lives that is being lost from simply drugs being issued by pharmaceutical companies, or, if we want to be honest, the inoculations, of which they've mightily tried to hide the numbers. And the VAERS reporting was off the table. So I guess I I have issue with a number of things here.
1: From UN.org, on November fifteenth, twenty 2022, the world's population is projected to reach 8 billion people, a milestone in human development. This unprecedented growth is due to the gradual increase in human lifespan, owing to improvements in public health, nutrition, personal hygiene, and medicine. It is also the result of high and persistent levels of fertility in some countries. While it took the global population 12 years to grow from 7 to 8 billion, it will take approximately 15 years until 2037 for it to reach 9 billion, a sign that the overall growth rate of the global population is slowing.
0: Okay, Uh, I don't even know where to start here. First of all, when you see these claims, these extravagant claims, that there are more people than are imaginable, you see words like projected, estimated. Hey man, if you're going to make this claim, lay it down. This is the number we're arriving at based on these things. And by the way, one might ask when you're going to do a thing like this, how are you getting the data? from everywhere. Not every country has a census. And by the way, last time I was looking at China with regard to census, they have to estimate their own population because they can't apply a census in all kinds of places where people are not in city centers. But here's what you should notice. Where does it look very over congested? It's in cities, right? Absolutely. It's in cities. What do we know about what's happened in the way we live in the modern three, four, five decades. People have moved to city centers. When you get on a plane on the East Coast and you fly to the West Coast, 90% of your flight will be over unoccupied land. And when you hit little enclaves, they are very tiny from the air, which shows how much open space there actually is. To arrive at the numbers we need to arrive at is very difficult, but what is the book for people who want some hard numbers that were derived quite a while ago, Jason, do you recall the Estlin book? Is that the Estlin book on Tavistock? Maybe do you recall? Daniel Estlin did a book where he lays down the tables of data he was able to get.
1: He did the Tavistock book, but I don't remember if there's another one besides that. All right. We took
0: a short break to try to look this up, and I'm reasonably sure Daniel Estlin's book Tavistock is where you'll find it. It has parts on eugenics. It's been a while. But the research is well done. And back in the day when we first started to question population, I took Estelin's tables and I launched on my own thing using them as a basis. And I found exactly what's now being put into serious movie maker movies starting about a year or two before COVID showing that in the Estelin book, the claim is that a birth rate of 2.5, lower than that, has never been recovered from. What that means is of, I I don't remember if it's average women, or there's a certain number of women that typically are going to have a family. They need to have two and a half children. Don't ask me how they get a half a child. It's just math, right? But the point is, it has to average out to each childbearing mother, or the majority of them, having 2.5 children over a given population. The historical record shows, and this is being reiterated in the in the movies I've seen from 2019 covering this, that no civilization has ever been known to recover from a birth rate lower than 2.5, but here's the kicker. in the ones I saw uh, published in 2019, they used 2.0. So they're a half a child less, and they went around the world showing nation after nation after nation
1: that are in dire straits because their birth rate has become so low. The total fertility rate, or the TFR, of a population is the average number of children that would be born to a woman over the course of her lifetime if she were to experience the exact current age-specific fertility rates through her lifetime, she were to live from birth until the end of her reproductive life. It is obtained by summing the single-year age-specific rates at a given time. As of the year 2023, the total fertility rate varied widely across the world, from 0.78 in South Korea to 6.82 in Niger. Fertility tends to be correlated with levels of economic development. Historically, industrial-developed countries have significantly lower fertility rates, generally correlated with greater wealth, education, urbanization, and other factors. Conversely, in the least developed countries, fertility rates tend to be higher. All right, let's cut to brass
0: tacks here. Basically, it's the cultural programming in societies that are based wholly on materialism. You might call them the industrialized nations. We can show all day long that the highest birth rates are in less industrialized nations. When Jason and I first did this research, what we found is if you were Catholic, Latin, or what was it, Jason, certain Muslim sects and certain people of color, Uh, were most likely to have a high birth rate, and it made up a very small portion of everyone overall. Uh, Are we going to cover the CIA nonsense from the 70s in this, Jason?
1: Not specifically, but it's very obvious at certain points. So I'll cover it here. What we found
0: is when we could draw a line where the birth rate started to change, it was in the early 70s. Again, the 2019 clips, 2018 clips admitting that were in population plunge. They chose the date 74, but they never realized why. Here's the reason why. The reason why is because of women's lib in the center of all the Tavistockian program that we have covered with things like drugs, music, and all the things that we've done over the years. The women's lib movement basically did this. Burn your bras, you're being treated unjustly, and anyone can look back to see how well this worked, because when you look at a show from the fifties, it's almost embarrassing how the men call her a little lady, or you just belong, you know, the, the, diminutive attitude that culture had placed around women. That's why this was so easy. So the programming came along and said, burn your damn bra. Uh, you got to be more like a man because you deserve to be pay- paid like a man and treated like a man instead of recognizing that gender roles matter. The effect of women's lib, which was run by a known CIA asset, you can probably still go to YouTube and look up the head of the movement, um, and she admits flat out she was a CIA, CIA asset. What it did was young families tended to start having a family between 22 and 24 prior to women's lib. Now, when the workforce and women can work and you need to act more like a man so you can get paid like a man, uh, all these programming ideas were inserted into society. What happened almost immediately is birth the beginning to have birth uh, for a new family started in the early 30s, as high as 34. And there's, there's the whole ticket right there. That one thing alone, if that sticks across decades, is going to have a massive effect on how many people are in the world. And by the way, what's her name? Gloria, is it Gloria Steinem? I'm yes. Looking for. yes. So you can look up Gloria Steinem, who uh, openly admitted at one point, you saw the clip, right, Jason? She admitted she was a CIA asset.
1: There's two different places she's admitted it over the years. There it is.
0: And that's in direct connection to the women's lib movement. And look how carefully the programming is put together. Whenever they can leverage on race baiting or some sexual thing, they really get dividends from employing ideas in this manner. And when I was young, what I remember about the women's lib movement was women didn't wear bras. That, that was a bad thing, you know, and it's ridiculous. A, a bra has a function. And if it didn't matter, then women wouldn't be wearing them today. And yet they were all convinced to go burn their bras, walk around without bras on, which created some level of sexual tension in our society Uh, in the 70s. It was quite popular. It was right around the time streaking was big, by the way, another social engineering thing. But let's, let's keep moving before I get lost on my own
1: sauce here. Well, there are some other aspects to that we should probably cover. Okay. So the women's lib movement, yes, did everything you just said. It also helped push the breakup of the families with divorces, so less families staying together having kids. If you break up those relationships, sometimes it takes longer, sometimes it never happens for relationships to come back together again, so this interrupts child reproduction. Then there's the aspect that a lot of women totally pushed off anything to do with families so that they could focus on careers, and sometimes they just focused on careers until it was too late.
0: But we should also point out the modern programming that goes hand in hand and picks up where we are to try to further mess with the birth rate, which is probably working. And that is the complete decimation of the cultural idea of the sacred feminine. And I'm using that word for a reason. This is a creation we live in. And the feminine and the masculine are the only way that we reproduce. That's it. It's the way it works for us human beings and most animals and other things too. And what they've done with the sacred feminine is now they're turning so many women into superheroes where they kick ass and they do things that are the opposite of what the typical role through history of a feminine life was like. And then that also plays into, and I will maintain the only reason that this woke nonsense plays all the gender games they do is because if you assess it, it reduces birth rate even in the movie that I'm talking about, they're doing the woke nonsense. They're in a place showing, oh, the birth rate has plummeted here. They're going to be in trouble very, very quickly. And so they started interviewing people. Then they interviewed same-sex couples and they asked the question, are you going to adopt? And I thought, well, if we're talking about the, the number of babies in the world, what difference would that make? That is not a new baby in the world. And so even in the modern assessments of the absolute decline of human beings in our world, they're doing this woke nonsense. And from my part, I don't know what you think about it, Jason. It's to me, it is all about birth rate. That is the only reason it is being employed is to get less babies.
1: Right. Well, the woke nonsense is doing even more damage than the women's lib movement did. Uh, well, Or maybe this is like another, like a one-two punch kind of thing. Right. Because now they're screwing up the kids, uh, the teens and, and early 20s. It's not even something they conceive of because they're too busy pretending they're a lamppost or some other stupid thing or changing their gender on a daily basis. It's just this ridiculous nonsense. There's no realism in their minds in the first place to want to settle down with somebody and have children.
0: There you go. And how do human beings primarily learn? From my point of view, it is by example. And I'm a prime example of that. I tried to get out of school my entire life, but I had a father who was so bright just by having lived around him, I picked up a vocabulary. I picked up how to think. I was very fortunate because I had no room for education in my life when I was young. The point I'm making is human beings learn from example. The first time that I noticed openly noticed that, hey, man, there is an absolute push to further destroy the family unit was in the show, The Big Bang. My mother loved that show. And what I noticed was, first of all, it was the biggest show in the world for about 10 years. And what that means, most minds involved to be that huge and that popular. And so what went on was the constant reinforcing of I'm not going to have kids. you know. Then I can't party and do the things I want. And then someone would have a kid and they'd point out all the reasons it's a drag. And this went on and on and on. I saw versions of this. I started to recognize versions of this across so many things. And the truth of it is, is it is hard. If you're a female and you want to have a career, then how do you mix in having a family, starting a family, particularly in the West where they're not going to be that friendly about it. I'm aware of other places in the world where you'll get leave. You might even get a year. You're guaranteed to get your job back. All these things have been put in place. I think it's mostly in European areas so that a woman with a job that she's pursuing could start a family now look around in America. It's almost like everything is designed here to not make that very feasible. But anyhow.
1: Families desire children for their labor and as caregivers for their parents in older age. Fertility rates are also higher due to the lack of access to contraceptives, stricter adherence to certain religious beliefs, generally lower levels of female education, and lower rates of female employment. As of 2020, the total fertility rate for the world was said to be 2.3. Global TFR has declined rapidly since the 1960s, and some forecasters have argued that the effective worldwide fertility rate will fall below replacement rate, estimated to be 2.3 in the 2020s. This is now happening in many countries.
0: All right. Sorry, your numbers. I'm not accepting them. 2.5 is the traditional number that I found everywhere before 2019, when people started admitting this was true and they dropped the number to 2.0 to try to cover. That's a half a life basically. So that would be a life between every two mothers. And that used to be the old standard required for replacement. So if the world total is now at 2.3, All the research that I did the first time around, we started to look at these ideas. It means we have already dropped below what can't be recovered from based on every society that's ever been known. In other words, once you go below 2.5, there is no example of society recovering. Now, if you want to see the stark reality of this in your face, take a look at Japan. And it's kind of a weird thing. Japan, most of Japan has much better food than we do where, where I've grown up. They still grow things. They're still farming. They do have this weird cultural thing where they love to hold and protect their old culture, which they do very well, but they love tech. It's this bizarre samurai next to a robot thing that goes on there. But my point is, what is it that caused it? I keep looking at it over and over to try to deduce what caused the the birth rate to fall. And the only thing I can come up with is that women took a position that they didn't previously have in society where they could begin to have a career. That's the only thing I can come up with. But if you take a careful look at Japan, there are endless areas and villages and smaller areas that in another 10 years, ain't going to be nobody there. And they even have all these students that are supposed to do or or graduated students that go out to these areas and try to revive them to get life back into these areas. And another tell is the UNESCO thing. The UNESCO protects certain places. And I don't think I have to tell everyone what UNESCO is about, right? We all get where they are in the standing of hierarchy uh, in the controllers of the world. UNESCO does things like cultural heritage. They'll do like a place because the physical landscape is so amazing. They'll do things like protect a place because the cultural heritage, like they made silk here and it's the last place in the world, you know, they protect areas like this. And I started to look at how many places had been protected in Japan and then started to look around the world. And to me, it looks as if it is a prep up for a lot less people being around. That's an observation.
1: According to the most recent United Nations estimates from 2017, almost one half of the world's population lives in countries with below replacement fertility, i.e. with a total fertility rate below 2.1 births per woman. Of these, one quarter have TFRs close to the replacement level, i.e. between 1.8 and 2.1. The other three quarters have really low fertility, below 1.8 births per woman. Low fertility countries are generally grouped into clusters. The main clusters are in East Asia, Southern Europe, the German-speaking countries of Western Europe, and all the former socialist countries of Central and Eastern Europe. In fact, contemporary fertility around the world is lower than it has ever been. Since the middle of the 20th century, childbearing has declined by 50%. 50 to 60 years ago, women in developed and developing countries combined had on average five children. Now, however, the world average is between 2.3 and 2.5 children per woman. They're playing
0: a numbers game.
1: This is what the mainstream is doing. This is some woke nonsense here.
0: You started out This mainstream information that we lifted saying that the world fertility rate was below 2.1. And then you ended by claiming it was between 2.3 and 2.5, while you used the number 2 or 2.1 the entire time to claim that is the replacement requirement to keep a population going. It's not true. Everything that I read a long time ago before this started being covered more and more was 2.5 children. That's the number to beat. You go below it. There is no example of a society recovering from that. Then they have the balls to say in the middle of this, since the middle of the 20th century, childbearing is down by 50%. Well, wait a minute. If childbearing is down by 50% and at some point we were having 2.5 or better, what's half of 2.5 or better? This is all nonsensical data designed to spin your mind in directions. I mean, Jason, is there anything here that we could call a value? I mean, the numbers are all over the place. And it's to me, it's an obfuscation to further hide that many populations are in dire straits.
1: Right. Well, I'm putting a lot of mainstream stuff in here so I can right. sh- show just how much poppycock they're pushing.
0: Right. That's the whole reason I took it apart because I knew that's why you did it. The moment it opened up with moving the acceptable birth rate for replacement to 2.1, you're already telling a fib. The other problem here is how things get estimated because if you go to Sub Saharan Africa, you're not getting a census. Even in China, there are so many outlying groups and cultures that couldn't possibly be easily culturally assessed. Now, this starts to change with. The onset of the cell phone. My point being is maybe Apple, you know, whoever controls the phone data, they would have the best idea, I would guess, of how many people are here. And since the data would let them know about families, I'm just saying it's not a government's not going to have the wherewithal to do anything but estimate. Whereas a corporation that sells things that ev- almost everyone uses, that's going to be the closest they can come. In other words, if I read numbers that said iPhone suggested this, I would think, well, that's probably a
1: reasonable number. Thomas Robert Malthus, who lived from February 1776 until December 29th, 1834, was an English cleric, scholar, and influential economist in the fields of political economy and demography. In his 1798 book, in essay on the principle of population, Malthus observed that an increase in a nation's food production improved the well-being of the population, but the improvement was only temporary because it then led to population growth, which in turn restored the original per capita production level. In other words, humans had a propensity to utilize abundance for population growth rather than for maintaining a higher standard of living. This view has become known as the Malthusian Trap or the Malthusian Spectre.
0: So I'll just ask you, Jason, what's your view on the Malthusian idea?
1: And and also,
0: how do you feel like this is accepted by the mainstream?
1: Well, as I'm going to show in the notes here, this led from one thing to the next to the next. As far as the way I feel about it, it depends upon the technological level of the place you're talking about.
0: Yeah. To me, it's such a broad statement as to be almost useless because what you're doing is you're saying most peoples are the same and their situation is the same. And that's just not so. And it's also all the way back in the 1700s, you know, we're not talking about grocery stores yet, are we? And what we see, and the reason this really bothers me is because in our time, what we see is grocery stores as a weapon, right? The first time this became apparent to anyone in the modern age, I think in mass was the toilet paper nonsense for a whole lives. There has never been any question that toilet paper would be there. All of a sudden the news airs, whatever it was, a truck crash, one truck crash, whatever, and everybody made a run on toilet paper. But what it shows is the real problem is with the new levels of providing foodstuffs for lots of people, that becomes a controlling mechanism. And to me, that's totally left out of these ideas.
1: Well, where that stems from is getting people off the land, taking care of themselves and crowding them into cities. So they have to go to grocery stores. Fast forward multiple generations later, and now you have people who just sit around eating Hot Pockets.
0: There it is. Winter, winter, chicken dinner. And what's worse is once you've been separated from the creation, been removed from the truth of nature, a lot of people have difficulty being able to get back. In other words, if you have a week to not be a stop and shop food getter and you got to feed yourself, will you make it? And what's worse is we know these populations have grown in city centers, not the world in city centers. And so in city centers, it's going to be very difficult, nigh on impossible to get along without the systems that make a city a viable place to be. And actually, you know, as I'm thinking about it, Jason, there, there's an episode to do right there. The vast ranging control mechanisms that are granted to people in control of big corporations vis a vis the number of people living in cities. That's a pretty big control mechanism. I mean, we might ask, why is it always New York City? You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, this is another thing where the elite don't even know what the hell they're doing. They pushed and pushed and pushed for control by getting people off the land and into cities. Then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, they're breeding too much. Well, yeah, you had to give them grocery stores, fast food and all this other garbage, force feeding them all this crap at first just so they had food. But now you're worried and now you have to wind it back and try and wipe people out. Well, if you just left them the hell alone it wouldn't have been such a big deal.
0: Well, that's another point that never gets added into any of these conversations like the one we're having. When we got the mass food production and the fast food and the stop and shop, we got to the point where we are now, where I would count that minimally 90% of the things that I can go buy in a supermarket are not healthy. In other words, if I use them over and over and over, it would have a negative impact on my health. And that reflects directly on how many people are sick and going to the hospital, and that also reflects on the supposed age that people are going to live. Right now, the age that people are going to live it has to be a dismal number because I am aware of reasonable research that was just done that show that eighty percent of the deaths following COVIDius minimus from the jab uh, were from people something like sixty eight. To 80 something. So the older segment of society. So if we still want to come along and make the claim that the average man lives, whatever it used to be, 74 years, exactly when my father died. And the average woman, I think was 79 or 80 or something like that. It's been a few years since I've looked. I don't think those numbers hold up anymore, Jason. I think what they're doing is rattling off old numbers to cover the fact that we are about to be a lot less
1: Malthus stated that populations had a tendency to grow until the lower class would suffer hardship and have greater susceptibility to war, famine, and disease. This rather pessimistic view is sometimes referred to as a Malthusian catastrophe. Malthus wrote in opposition to the popular view in 18th century Europe that saw society as improving overall and in principle as perfectible. Malthus saw population growth as inevitable whenever conditions improved, thereby precluding real progress towards a utopian society. Quote, the power of population is indefinitely greater than the power in the earth to produce subsistence for man. Oh, nonsense, Malthus. Go frickin' suck a grape.
0: This creation is amazing, and it does what it needs to do without fail. And from the beginning of time, it has been providing everything we need. These issues that are cropping in are due to technology. Had we all remained in a place where each of us had to contribute at some level on the land, producing something that the society as a whole needed, then this conversation wouldn't even be floated. That's my point of view there. But there's another thing that he starts with, with the idea of war. Think of World War II, the death numbers you've heard. Even Vietnam, think of the death numbers you heard. And as you said it, I started to think I don't think I've ever seen a population estimate that was included with the ideas of the numbers that we're being told we lost in war. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because either wars are a hell of a good way to reduce population significantly or they're not. And how can it be when they're making claims of millions of people in World War II that that isn't a recognized and known number? vis-a-vis the population being reported.
1: As an Anglican cleric, Malthus saw this situation as divinely imposed to teach virtuous behavior. He wrote that the increase of population is necessarily limited by subsistence. Population does invariably increase when the means of subsistence increases, and the superior power of population repressed by moral restraint, vice, and misery Malthus criticized the Poor Laws, the precursor to the modern welfare system in England and Wales, for leading to inflation rather than improving the well-being of the poor. He supported taxes on grain imports that were known as the Corn Laws. His views became influential and controversial across economic, political, social, and scientific thought. Pioneers of evolutionary biology read his work, such as Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace, and also was said to be highly influential on Francis Galton and the field of eugenics. Other members of Europe's upper class also read his work and bought into his rather limited view of reality. Malthus's failure to predict the Industrial Revolution was a frequent criticism of his theories.
0: Well, here, I'll give you a criticism of his theories. He influenced Darwin. What more do we need to know? That's about as much nonsense as we're ever going to deal with. It's almost like doing gravity, calling it a law when it's not, and then shaping every facet of scientific life around a theory that has not been proven out as a law. Darwin is laughable. And to me, Jason, when we did our work on dinosaurs, let me make clarification here. I'm not saying there wasn't a time... When there were some bigger animals around, some animals we don't see anymore. What I am saying is things the size of the Empire State Building, no, sorry. And we broke down how they were invented, how they had a name before they were ever discovered, a toenail or a tooth or anything else. We showed the two guys who brought it, fought it, made things up, got caught putting hippos and giraffes together and all the things they did. But all of that nonsense was required to get Darwin. To be normalized. I mean, don't you think that's part of what we covered there was the normalizing of Darwin or, or maybe to put the, the, the horse before the cart to use Darwin and normalize it in order to make the argument about all the dinosaur stuff they were pushing.
1: Right. Well, clearly they saw what Malthus was pushing and then they took it and ran. That's the way I see it. All I'm saying is when you find
0: a nonsensical foundation in a story, then the story itself has to be questioned. And when you're flaunting names like Darwin, sorry, I'm all out. I don't accept anything, mostly anything about what Darwin did. Do we evolve? Yeah, but just not in that way. Did we come from slime in a lake? Sorry. It's been demonstrated six ways to Sunday that that's not the case. And by the way, in the era we are now, simply going down to places like Peru and looking at what they call megalithic structures proves to you that your linear timeline is flawed. Cave people didn't do that. Go to India. Look at those temples, which are Lord knows how old. Cave people didn't do that. And so... We're at a change point here where these things are going to start to fall by the wayside. But the reason that we're talking about this is how low can we go Uh, when you see things like the Georgia Guidestones and the latest nonsense, I think the last nonsense was it had to be blown up, right? To have a subconscious effect in the minds of the world in the same way there was a psychological effect by people catching on to, hey, man, the number of people they're saying we can have is a lot less. We currently have. So, what does that mean?
1: In the late 19th century, claims were being made that the higher classes of society, the wealthy and successful, or what some may call the elite, were being outbred by the so called unfit. Unfit in their eyes, at least. Taken with Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, this idea created public alarm and a sense of desperation in certain circles. Eugenicists declared that the unfit were having more children than the fit, and that the human race was doomed to deteriorate as a result. It was also argued that medicine, charity, and centralized governments were interfering with the process of natural selection because they were removing struggle, thereby promoting the survival of the so called unfit. Darwin himself commented that he did not believe that natural selection was working the way that it ought to be with humans, although he did not offer any of his own solutions, at least nothing that has been recorded publicly. However, the situation provided an ideal setting for eugenic ideas to flourish. Interest in the subject matter was high, knowledge about heredity was in its early stages of understanding, and there appeared to be, to certain individuals, benefits to intervention in human reproduction.
0: All right, we're going to play the run around in circles and act like something here has some substance. Eugenics is a blight on the face of humanity. And you go ahead and tell me who are the qualified people to decide who stays and who goes. But these arguments are hollow. Eugenicists declared that the unfit were having more children than the fit. Well, guess what? According to Darwin, you're the unfit one, right? Survival of the, you know, Uh, survival of the fittest. So if the people you're calling unfit are having more children than you, then naturally at some point you'll be replaced by them. So there's holes in your argument. So they go on to say, well, we've removed too much of the struggle. Well, that's an unsound argument as well, because the rich don't have one of the biggest struggles, which is how to pay for stuff. So how about this? Let's level the field. Let's take the money away from the rich at the same level as the people they're calling unfit and see how the struggle works then. It's all a bunch of one-sided kind of bigoted ideas balancing on Darwin. And by the way, it's almost, I suspect, why we got Darwin in the first place was to start to push some of these agendas. You know, when I was in school, the whole thing was, well, we, we could prove Darwin beyond a shadow of doubt. If we could just find the missing link, you know, it's uh, it's these hollow claims that never seem to be justified or worked out at any level.
1: And the ironic part is with a lot of rich people, if you took their money away and threw them in a situation where they defend for themselves, they lack the skills to do so while they're looking down their nose at everyone else.
0: Hell, don't even take their money away. Just make them go have a job. For the same period of time of the people they're calling unfit. And you see what you've got time for in your life. You know, money is not the be-all and end all, but when you don't have it, it is the only damn thing that matters in a material society like we are. And I know because I've been there. I don't live my life just because of money by any stretch of the imagination. You you could vouch for me, Jason. Money is not my driving thing, but I have been in places where I didn't have it. And that is the only thing that matters. How will I get my next meal? How will I pay rent? How will I avoid being homeless? So that is the hollow platitude that's built into these one-sided arguments. We don't have the problems that they do. So somehow we're exempt.
1: It's also pretty depressing when you're walking down the street and pass a 7 and you can't even buy yourself a cup of coffee. Yeah, I've been there. All right, for the last point for our one Many eugenicists felt that they were able to justify their seriously prejudiced and immoral actions under Darwin's theories. The segregation, sterilization, and murder of various groups was justified by some as being done for the greater good of evolution. Those groups who are considered to be less fit should have their reproduction interfered with and drastically reduced with advocates arguing that the human race would improve overall and evolve into a better species as a result of having many less undesirables in the gene pool. The theory of evolution is thought to have helped support explanations that defended these actions as necessary to ensure that human progress continued in a positive manner.
0: Isn't it ironic That if we took a truly democratic process, took the whole of everybody and voted who the undesirable people were, how do you think that would come out? And that echoes the just open nonsense that this eugenics or somehow the human beings have a right to do what they're trying to impose here. And what are they basing it on? Darwin. Now you're starting to learn something about why we got Darwin in the first place. It's a tool. It's a psychological tool. But then they go on to say, but this needs to be done for the greater good of evolution. You know what? Shut your trap. Make a fish from scratch. Make an oak tree from scratch. Because until you can do that, you have no authority over this place called the creation where you're asserting evolution occurs. And you know it's true because of every religion ever made that has the triad and you know, it's true because rich people have trusts and they know that the grantor or the creator of the trust controls the trust as the beneficiary benefits from the trust as the trustee wishes he was the beneficiary. These ideas are hollow, one-sided and dishonest. And as we close out, Jason, I wonder, I would really truly like to know an acceptable number on how many people are in the world. And I would not be surprised if it was half or less than what is currently being claimed, which I don't know if you agree with me. I haven't paid attention much to the latest claims, but isn't it on the nigh of 8 billion people? Yes. Between seven and eight. I've heard the numbers bandied about. Wouldn't it be a kick in the head if we could somehow demonstrate that it was half that? And that's just an observation on my part. I can't possibly prove it. I have racked my brains trying to figure out ways that I could start to get to more acceptable numbers. And the first problem is, while you might be able to do it in a couple places that are very industrialized by, by tricky thinking, like going and looking up cell phone ownership or other ways to try to get at a more you know acceptable number, uh, there's no way to even start to envelop everywhere. But what would you add?
1: Well, I don't think they are keeping very specific records on a lot of places, probably like in uh, Central and South America, or even many countries in Africa that are third world nations. I doubt very much they know exactly what the populations there are anyway.
0: I agree. But with things like AI, you can know things like when a person's going to die, which they will never know. So I assume with the tools they have, they probably could get to a very legit number. That would be my guess. But You know, the people that come here to be with us are thinking people or else they wouldn't be here. So let's hear some ideas. What would be an effective, clever way to try to gain numbers at what an acceptable population might be? I always come back to the cell phone idea, but we got a big group here. What ideas could we use to try to employ to get at some numbers that are acceptable and not part of just world agenda? And how in the hell does anyone claim that, that the population is still growing after what started in 2020? And as an immediate observation, as I close up hour one of 488, how many friends do, does everyone listening have right now that have children? And how many of those friends that do have children have more than two? Because 2.5 is the acceptable reproduction rate required. And what this actually means in the short run, just so everyone comprehends what it means to be lopsided below a certain birth rate is you begin to have more old people that are no longer contributing to the system and need the system to get along than there are young people to do everything that needs being done to include to pay for them, the retirement accounts, everything that's required from a younger generation. That is the main overarching concern. And if you look at it that way, maybe COVID was ingenious in more ways than we realize if the number of 80 percent of most of the deaths were in the older generation. Anyhow, anything else, Jason?
1: Nope. We're going to pick up in hour two talking about Charles Darwin and uh, talk about how the uh, eugenics movement came about and what they wanted to do to everybody.
0: Oh, Eugene, just go home and stay there. Anyhow, that is hour one of episode 488. First hours free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C R R O W 777 radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episodes, and members also comprehend that they get free access to the movie Shoot the Moon, which includes almost all the interesting work I did with a telescope and telephoto lenses. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two, and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.